Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. tell you a little story. I just uh, did this, you know, over at Pasadena, and uh, the whole service, I was like, come on, come on, you know, and that's, uh, I never got much more than, uh. so uh, you guys are going to have to help me out a little bit. Thank you for spending your weekend with us, because I know it's a travel, get out of town, relax, whatever weekend, thanks for being here. I appreciate that. And uh, give you a couple updates. Uh, I think you probably saw that uh, this gang down front, they're selling tamales. I'm sure that got announced somewhere in the process. And so here's a crazy thing. You can buy the tamales. They work this week to make those things for you and get it all ready. Or you can just scholarship a kid to camp. You don't have to have tamales. <laughs> but they're really good. Really good. So... Also, just I, I've promised to kind of keep you in the loop and keep you updated. You can see that things are happening uh, very quickly. They will slow down because they will move inside soon, and you won't be able to drive by and see that progress is being made. Uh, but just a couple of reminders. In the summertime, things go completely crazy at Montrose Church. I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, all our camps kick in. We have Vacation Bible School. We have Arts Camp at our Pasadena campus. Uh, junior High Camp was this past week. High School Camp's coming up. Uh, it goes completely crazy. There's a lot happening, and uh, therefore expenses go up, which is beautiful because in the summer people travel and giving goes down. So one of the phenomenons that has occurred with this whole process that we are in is, uh, you know, as any good small business, we used to have a little line of credit, and it helped us get through the months when, you know, we kind of had higher expenses and lower revenue. Uh, but with our construction financing, that all went away. So we are literally living hand to mouth. Uh, so all I'm saying is you're doing great, but don't forget us because uh, one week that you take off uh, is hard. So uh, just stay faithful on those tithes and offerings. And if you got some catching up to do, that'd be a blessing. So think about all that. We're going to talk about greed a little bit. And I think when we start into a, talk, a conversation like that, a lot of us go, oh, good, this one won't apply to me. <laughs> but wait. Because what Jesus is actually talking about in this parable in Luke 12 is insatiability. Insatiability. Insatiability is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as an appetite impossible to satisfy. And so I would just start out by asking you, what appetite might you have that is impossible to satisfy? Because it doesn't have to be just about money. It can be about emotions. It can be about relationships. Where are the places where we're always feeling the lack, where the want is always the most acute? And then I'm going to just share this quote with you from Pete Waterman. What do you do if you've got everything? There's only one thing left to do, more. What do you do if you've got everything? There's only one thing left to do, more. And then hopefully this will make more sense to you, but what are you hanging on to that it would benefit to you to let go? What are you hanging on to that it would benefit you to let go? 
So with all of that in mind, let's talk just for a minute about Catch-22. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the term or you know where it came from, but actually uh, the American novelist uh, Joseph Heller wrote a book uh, back in the 1960s called uh, Catch-22. And the Catch-22 is basically, uh, up until that time, we only knew it sort of as a paradox or a dilemma, but Catch-22 gave it new vocabulary in American culture. And, and so here's a Catch-22. In order to get a good job, you need experience. But to get experience, you need a good job. That's a catch-22. See that? Here's how it applies to us. If I work really hard and I'm really diligent, I'm going to end up having a really good life where I can travel and relax and rest and do all kinds of good things. But in my really diligence to do well, I end up damaging myself psychologically, relationally, and sometimes physically so that I don't ever get to the point where I feel like I can enjoy my life. A catch 22. Really, a catch-22 is where you feel like you don't have any good choices, like all the choices have a downside. And when it gets really ugly, it's when all of the choices have a downside that's greater than the upside, where you're just choosing among bad choices in our journey. And we can feel that way. We can feel that way emotionally. We can get there in a space where we start to feel like life's just kind of a, a drudgery. We're told that in some parts of the world, uh, you can catch a monkey by simply drilling a hole in a coconut. You guys all know this? <laughs> and you can put some food inside the coconut, and the monkey will stick his hand inside the coconut and grab the food and won't let go. Won't let go. To his detriment. <laughs> will drag that coconut around until he's easily caught, never thinking to simply let go of the food inside. Now, when you get inside that, you have to understand that, that this instinct has served this monkey really well up to this moment. <laughs> when you see food, grab it. That's my policy. <laughs> Just, you know, when you see it, get it. Eat it. Take it. Hang on to it. In fact, you could say that up to this moment, this monkey has understood this to be the means of survival. But now, it's going to prove to be fatal. And what happens with you and I when we live in a way that we get hold of things to our own detriment, but we're unwilling to unclench our fists? Psychologists who study this phenomenon inside of human beings, this inability to let go of things, study something called the Einstellung phenomenon. And, and what that is, is it says that we are most likely to do what we understand rather than what's better. Everybody with me? We are most likely to do what we understand instead of what's better. So they studied it in a couple of ways. They did this experiment in which they got some chess masters together, super smart, brilliant chess players. And they set up a board for them. And on the board, there was an obvious five move into the game. In fact, it was a known move. But underneath it, there was a three-move into the game that was simpler, more elegant, and obviously more efficient. These masters collectively could not see the three moves. They could only see the five moves because they knew the five moves. They did a second experiment. This time, they removed the obvious five but left the underlying three. This time, all of the masters found the three. It's just to say that we often do what we're most familiar with rather than what's best. 
A similar study was done on doctors who have made mistakes in, in diagnosing or in treatments. And they found in the study that mistakes in diagnosing and treatment were not related to a lack of knowledge. They weren't related to a lack of understanding. They were related to the fact that the presenting cases were being diagnosed based on previous experience with other patients. You understand that? Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to a doctor, I I don't say, how much experience do you have? Well, that's too much. I I need you to take a fresh look at me. (laughs) No, no. I want them to have as much experience as possible. But it turns out it can mitigate against their... Because we go on this path that we already understood based on where we've been. And I would just throw out to you this morning online here in the room... What things might be happening in your journey, in your life, that you're doing them because they're familiar, not because they're best, not because they're life-giving, not because they're redemptive, not because they're freeing you. What might that look like? I love this quote by Frederick Buechner. It's one of my favorites. Stop trying to protect, to rescue, to judge To manage the lives around you. Remember that the lives of others are not your business. Thank you. I'm going to read that again. (laughs) Remember that the lives of others are not your business. They are their business. They are God's business. Even your own life is not your business. It also is God's business. Leave it to God. It's an astonishing thought. It can become a life-transforming thought. Unclench the fists of your spirit And take it easy. What deadens us most to God's presence within us, I think, is the inner dialogue that we are continuously engaged in with ourselves. The endless chatter of human thought. I suspect that there is nothing more crucial to true spiritual comfort than being able from time to time to stop that chatter. This is all sort of wound around what Jesus is teaching And I think sometimes when you go, okay, greed, money, uh, that doesn't apply to me. Well, think of it in the broadest terms possible. This is what he speaks, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, but God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 
Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail. Therefore, no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where no thief comes in and moth destroys, for where your treasure is... That's where your heart will be also. I could have said this sermon is about worry, and then that would have been like, oh no, (laughs) because we all got a little bit of that going on. N.T. Wright, in relationship to this parable, writes these words, the modern Western world is built on anxiety. You see it on the faces of people hurrying to work. You see it even more as they travel home tired, but without having solved life's problems. The faces are weary, puzzled, living with the unanswerable question as to what it all means. This world thrives on people setting higher and higher goals for themselves and each other so that they can worry all day and all year about whether they will reach them. And if they do, they'll set new ones. And if they don't, they'll feel like they've failed. Was this really how we were supposed to live? So Jesus comes in and he begins to teach this parable. And I see six things that I think he's encouraging us to let go of. The first one is he's encouraging us to let go of greed. Greed. Now we can feel greed in a lot of ways. We can feel it for money. But I think most of us, when we think about money, it's more fear-based than greed-based. We're just worried we're not going to be able to have enough. Amen? And we do live in one of the rather more expensive parts of the world. It's a little crazy sometimes, isn't it? So, you know, uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But greed is that sense in which we just can't quite get enough. Like we're never quite where we want want to be. And, And it starts to cause us to feel that life is unfair, that we're being underserved. Now, I don't know about you, but I encounter a lot of folks who seem upset about the world. We're celebrating the birthday of our country, Independence Day, this week, and there'll be some people that aren't celebrating. Amen? And I think they should travel more. Amen? Because this is not a perfect place to live. But given the choices of stuff around the world, it's an amazing place to live. And, and, And we get that insatiable sense that something we're being underserved, it ought to be better, the decisions, the choices, and and it's rooted in some idea of it's not enough. There's an insatiable need in me for satisfaction. There's an insatiable need in me for things to be just what they're supposed to be. And I don't know if you know this, but they never are. Not a single amen on that. I've had the silent treatment once today. Greed an insatiable part of us that can't get satisfied. We can apply it to monetary things, but we can apply it to relational things. We can apply it to emotional things. We can apply it to spiritual things. God, I need you to do more. I I need more 
more, 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 more. And sometimes I think when we are diligently, humbly seeking more of God, that's a really good thing. Amen? Amen. When we're mad at God because he's not doing his part, that's a different issue. When we're a little upset at God because he didn't come through for us, because he didn't make us feel the way we want to feel, somewhere in there, this is a covenant relationship. He does his part and we do our part. I'm pretty sure that when I get mad at God, if one of us is letting down our end of the bargain, it's probably me. It's probably me. Greed. We've got to let go of that insatiable sense. It's not just fighting to get more money. It's stressing over what we believe to be the ultimate solution. That we've decided what it is and where. If only this would get fixed. If only it was this way instead of that way. And it creates in us this insatiable sense of greed. Number two, we're to let go of this endless wanting. Guy had a great harvest. So what did he do? He didn't bless somebody else with the abundance. He tore down his barns and he built bigger ones. So he could store it all and have it all and keep it all. We want, don't we? I thought about when I was writing this sermon to, to stop right here and do a big breakdown about advertising and the history of advertising, but I thought it would bore you. So instead of writing it down, I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> so you can be bored anyway. But now I don't know what I'm talking about. Advertising used to be this really simple thing. Because it was an effort to get to the store. You had to hitch up the wagon. You understand what I'm saying? You had to go into town. So advertising was super simple. We have soap. Because <laughs> you didn't want to go if it wasn't there. So that's what it was. Here's advertising. This is what we have in stock. You come and get it. But that has changed, hasn't it? That has changed. And now, sometimes when we are forced to watch advertising... Because we, we are streaming now, so we don't have to watch advertising. But don't you hate it when they interrupt? But when we're forced to watch advertising, we're not even sure what it's about. I mean, it's like, these are really happy people. I don't know what they're doing, but, like, I mean, this guy's climbing a mountain. Look at him. That is a gorgeous human being. Look, he's fit. Oh, it's an aftershave commercial. Oh, <laughs> So if I wear that aftershave, I'll be able to look like that and climb mountains. Get me some of that. Or maybe I'll at least smell like the guy climbing the mountain. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Maybe I don't want that. Now I'm really confused. I don't know if I'm supposed to want that or not. When I was in grad school, when Cindy and I were in grad school, we, we had no money. Like, we were very poor, you know. It's a grad school story. So the big, the big thing to do was go to the mall and walk around because it was free. It cost you nothing. Well, it sort of cost you nothing because when you go to the mall and walk around, guess what you find out? You need stuff. You find out, you know, you want stuff. You find out that there's some things in there that are a good idea. Now, I don't can't remember the last time I've been to the mall. But you know what? I don't have to go to the mall. The mall comes to me. It's on my phone constantly. Oh, I probably want that. And how hard is it to buy? Buy now. <laughs> and out, magic happens in the ethos, and it appears on my front porch, wanting. 
wanting. This thing works, this wanting thing works on both ends. It works on the acquisition side. I need to make more money. I need more, 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 more. And let's be fair. We live in a place that is hard to live. It's expensive to live here. It takes a lot to make it all happen. But we also kind of get it on the distribution side. I want more income because I, I want more outflow. I want better things and nicer things. Do, do you guys, I'm older, so see, and I've used that phrase older because I don't want to use the word old. <laughs> I'm older. But did you ever imagine, remember when you had one landline in your house and you had a phone in the kitchen with a cord that was 40 feet long and it could, it could stretch to 50? Everybody remember that? And what a breakthrough it was when we got the princess phone. You guys, older people help the younger people. We got the princess phone and the breakthrough was you didn't have to go to the, to the handset in order to dial because it was all in the handle, so you could just carry it around the house, you know, <laughs> corded, corded. And back then, did you ever imagine you would get a bill, the size of the bill you get for your cell phone? You'd be like, whoa, this didn't even exist. And Wi-Fi, I mean, it costs a lot. Somewhere in there, we're letting go of greed, and we have to let go of the wanting. Isn't it isn't it interesting that every fall, Apple comes out with a new phone? How many generations behind? I would bet that how far behind generationally gets bigger the further you go back in this room. <laughs> like these guys are up on technology and people in the back are, I've got a flip phone here. Let me. I keep pointing my flip phone at that code, but it doesn't work. I don't know what's happening. Playing Pong on my flip phone. There's <laughs> an insatiable part of being a human being alive in this culture, and it creates a kind of want in us. Letting go of urgency is the third thing that I think matters. Jesus says, here's a guy that believed that this needed to get done, but he neglected the health of his soul. Instead of doing what was important, he was doing what was urgent. This is terribly convicting. Because most of us are guilty of this. We are highly engaged in the urgent, and sometimes the importance is missed in the process. How many of us sit down at the beginning of a day and say, I'm going to really think about what's important to me today? Because I don't know if you know this, but your insides <laughs> mitigate against what's important. Anybody else like that? No? Okay, I'll tell you my story. <laughs> the older I get, the more OCD I have become. I didn't used to be that way, but I am now. So I find myself doing things, fixing things, cleaning something up, putting something, whatever, that's dumb. It's just dumb. And I could be doing something way more important than what I'm doing, but something inside of me is going, oh, oh. Uh, that's what happens to us. Our insides dictate, ah, 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 do that, do that, do that, instead of going, what's most important for me to be doing right now? And when that becomes really an issue of acute issue is when we are sitting in a room with human beings and we can't settle down and be present 
because our insides are asking us to do other things. We get trained on this adrenaline thing, and it's hard for us to do what is important. Letting go. Not just doing the thing with which we are familiar, but actually choosing what is healthiest and what is best. Letting go of the urgent thing. And then number four, letting go of worry. (laughs) Who of you, by worrying about it, can add a single hour to your life? If you cannot do this thing which is least, why do you worry about the rest? Because I'm excellent at it. (laughs) Because I would feel irresponsible if I were not worrying about stuff. Worry. 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 Wonder sometimes what it would be like for us to stop and think for a minute about the fact that we are only given so much energy. You just have so much fuel every day to burn inside this machine called a human being. And worry is, you know, that thing running in the background that's chewing through your battery life. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? It's just burning up through all the energy you have. And then when it's time to actually do something, you're like, I'm just too tired. Well, what'd you do today? I worried a lot. (laughs) And I was right on point. It was very good worrying. (laughs) What'd you worry about? Everything. I worried about everything. Somehow Jesus is saying to this group of people, and, and I want you to get the perspective here. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a group of people who are living hand to mouth. He's talking to a group of people who don't have money in the bank. They don't have a savings account. In fact, they don't have a bank. He's talking to people that if one thing breaks in their system, if somebody gets sick, if somebody who's funneling money into the family system goes down, there's going to be a question of how much they'll be able to have to eat. And he's looking them in the eye and saying to you, do not worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Even though of all the people who have ever lived on the planet, those people had a right to worry about what they were going to eat and what they were going to wear. And I wonder what he would say to us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have some layers of redundancy in our culture. In fact, I could argue with you statistically. I know we don't feel this way. But if you're living here and breathing here, right now you are in the top 5% of wealth that has ever occupied this planet and currently occupies the planet. Top 5%. And are we the most anxious, worried group of people on the planet? Yes, we are. All of this has not helped us get to a point where we don't worry. We just worry about more stuff. Of all the cultures that you could say we tore down our storehouses and built bigger ones, it was only 100 years ago That folks just lived and they just had money in their pocket. And then a crazy thing happened. They started living and having money in their pocket and they had a second pocket. They had a savings account. And now we have money in our pocket and then we have a savings account and then we have investment accounts for someday. We have more pockets than the culture's ever had. And we actually have money in most of them. And are we less worried? Oh, no. Have you looked at the stock market? That's something to worry about. Amen? And I think Jesus is simply saying, listen, if you think that getting more and more and more and more is going to cause you to have less and less and less worry, it isn't true. In fact, the opposite is true. The more you get, the more worry comes with it. So 
And you know what the antidote for worry is? And for greed? And for wanting? Gratitude. I mean, how many of us in this room right now, we walked in here and we're like, I got a lot of things to worry about. But if we just stopped and said, we have a lot of things to be thankful for. If we took a quick inventory, and we could go down the list. Financially, we have a lot to be thankful for. And I have no doubt that there are people in this room or listening online or will listen in this week who are really going through financial difficulty. We're going to pray for you. It's real. It costs a lot of money to live here. Sometimes I go to, people are like, you like to go to Africa? I do like to go to Africa. It's, it's cool. It's, it's really interesting to be there. And I think sometimes what I like about it is the simplicity of being there. Because I'll be in somebody's home, and this is their story. They went to the village elder, and they asked for some land, and they gave them this land. <laughs> and they built this house. They built it themselves. And now they live in it. Try doing that in La Crescenta. <laughs> because the buy-in to live here is high. It isn't simple. It's complicated. So what's the antidote for worry? Gratitude. Gratitude. And we think about how we're blessed financially, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. We fight the greed. We fight the wanting. We fight the urgency. We let go of worry. And then we let go of worry because of a couple of things that now Jesus touches on. Number five, let go of self-reliance. It's not all about you. Your Father in heaven knows you have need of such things. You're not in this by yourself. you got to do your best. you got to try. you got to get up every day and make it happen. But it is not all on your shoulders. Amen? As much as I wish there was a system to control the outcomes, that is not a power that has been placed in the hands of human beings. We just don't get to control the outcomes. And I would guess if we took a survey of the room, we could get some eyewitness testimonies because there's more than one of you that right now wants to control the outcomes and you're trying really hard. Amen? Wow. Thank you for those scattered, timid, Almost unspoken amens. <laughs> You're not in this by yourself. It's not all about how smart you are. It's not all about how wise you are. It's not all about how hard you work. The scripture invites us into a covenant relationship with God. And God says, please do your part. But please let me do my part. Please don't step over the line and think that you've got to do the God part. You do not have to do the God part. Do your best. Do your best. And that leads us to number six. Letting go of small dreams. You're building a life. I want you to build the kingdom. You're not here to build your life. Building your life is a necessary part of living and breathing and eating and functioning and being responsible. But it is not what you are created for. What you are created for is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In fact, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll be sure to take care of all those other things. Not as a reward, because you seek first, 
but because the outcome of seeking first is that you become a healthier human being. You become a person whose inner world is based on things that are eternal and not temporary. You get your eyes off of the things around you and you look up instead. And in that process, some health starts to happen inside of us. And God does come beside us and he does help us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You and I are not here just to perpetuate our own existence. Amen. Amen. Let's do something. I'll close with this little story. Tony Campolo cites a study that was done years and years ago. And the study was of folks who had lived to the ripe old age of 99. And psychologists sat them down and said, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? Three answers rose to the surface. Number one, I would risk more. I would risk more. I don't know why I played it so safe my whole life. I don't know what I was scared of. You just get one crazy ride, you know, you might as well, you know, take a few risks along the way. Number two, I would reflect more. I spent way too much time in the urgent, not enough time in the important. There were way too many times that I was rushing through moments that needed to be set down in and savored. I would reflect more. And number three, I would do way more things that will live beyond me. I would invest myself and my energy in way more things that would live beyond me. Let's be those people. Let's be those people who are kingdom-minded and others-focused. Let's be those people who are letting go, recognizing that the more we hang on, the more trapped we become. God, would you help us? Would you search our hearts and our minds? Would you help us to unclench the fists of our spirit? Whether the fists of our spirit are clamped around emotional things or relational things or monetary things or even spiritual things. Sometimes we get into a mode where we don't sit and reflect on the blessings of God and the teachings that he's poured into our hearts and minds. We always want one more thing, one more fix, one more transformation. And Sometimes I think you must look at us and go, why don't you go ahead and walk in the light I've given you? And when you're ready for some new stuff, I'll send it. Help us to be those folks who focus on the important, who let go of our greed and our wanting and our urgency, who can sit in space and appreciate that we're not alone in this. You're helping us, you're leading us, you're guiding us. You're for us and not against us and all things you're working for are good. I pray that as we close, we could shift our focus towards the people around us, towards you, seek you first, be others focused. And I pray that in these final moments, you would allow us to let go of some things. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.